Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast. Today, Kim Adams and I explore the topic of psychedelics. And Kim is an expert in psychedelics within our own experience of working with plant medicines over the last 10 years, both professionally and personally. And we touch on ayahuasca, iboga, and a few of the other plant medicines, but mostly ayahuasca. I share my experience of working with ayahuasca for the first time recently, and it was one of the most powerful, cathartic, healing things that I've ever done in my entire life. This plant medicine literally cracked me wide open. It opened my heart, and I was able to go into years and years and years of holding on to rage, anger, resentment, and childhood trauma, both in my body and in my mind. I was able to release so much in the two days that I did this plant medicine. I was able to release what I think would take years and years and years and years of therapy. And so I share my story in a hopes that somebody out there can relate to my story, to the feelings, to the trauma, and find a way to move through these emotions and get them out because they no longer serve you. I would love to hear your stories if you can relate to anything, and I hope that this episode can help somebody out there. It's really personal for me. It was pretty hard for me to share this, and um, I just appreciate your time and willingness to listen. I hope that you find this episode helpful. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast, a place to explore possibility through mindfulness, movement, and self-discovery. Our intention is to deliver insight and inspiration while fostering conversations that are genuine, unfiltered, and deeply human. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi. Hello. See you, my dear. Nice to see you. So I'm talking to Kim <laughs> Adams. I'm so happy to have you on the Connected Community Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about psychedelics. <laughs> and so yes. I would love for you to just kind of tell me like where you are and what you're doing right now with your life in the psychedelic movement. Sure, absolutely. I'm in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, um, and um, I'm originally from California. That's where you and I met uh, many, many years ago. Um, so um, I've been working personally in psychedelics for about 10 years and professionally for about five or six. It kind of gets a little nebulous, but um, uh, my work has been, I would say, predominantly across all of my work, it's been about consciousness in general, because I have a degree in psychology and, um, and really enjoy weird intellectual conversations as we're going to get into. Um, but also, um, the nature of, of consciousness and, and, uh, understanding how we're navigating this world. So, um, I started using psychedelics personally, um, when I was 33, I'm almost 43 now. Um, and, um, my work has been supporting people with addiction, um, which doesn't just look like a substance addiction. It can be, you know, anything from work addiction to, uh, behavioral addictions to actual substances, uh, to love, um, you know, people get very muddled in their, um, way in the world. And sometimes they have tried all kinds of other things 
Um, and uh, what that branched out to is that people take pharmaceuticals often to try to navigate their world, and I help them get off of them, as well as illicit substances and break patterns of behavior um, in order to have psychedelic experience, which psychedelic experience does a lot of that, that heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's what I do. And then I also have a marketing company and I, I market companies that are in the psychedelic space. So when you started down this journey of psychedelics, were you originally starting it recreationally? Oh yes, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and so Way back when I was a teenager, I did acid and mushrooms and, uh, well, I did a lot of things. Things that are available to someone who lives 20 minutes outside of Hollywood is not the same as those that live in the middle of the country. (laughs) Um, But none of that was therapeutically. Um, But a lot of MDMA, um, ketamine, did a lot of substances young and then diverged from that path and went to the kind of academic path and then... um, uh, more business oriented. Um, but it was all purely getting out of my mind is what Mm -hmm. was kind of the goal. Um, and then, uh, years, many years later at 33, I, I looked at it as, um, not just getting back into my mind, but getting back into my body, getting back into my soul, my spirit. And I think that's one of the gifts that, that these, these medicines can offer. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the muddy water is for psychedelics is that there is this um, connotation that the hippies are using it and they're just running around in the woods using acid and (laughs) and mushrooms and getting high. And then there's also this therapeutic balance of it. Um, And now you see people like Dr. Andrew Huberman and Sam Harris and these (laughs) neuro neuroscientists who are um, advocating for psychedelics. And there is a difference between doing a psychedelic journey with a bunch of friends to get messed up and doing a psychedelic journey as a healing. Um, and so I'd love to just, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that a little bit more. (laughs) Well, let's, let's go back a little bit to like your personal journey of, um, addiction and psychedelics. Sure. Sure. Um, so it, it started really, uh, my mother passed away in 2011 um, and it was fairly sudden. Um, and you were with me at that time in my life. Thank you. <laughs> and um, I, uh, unbeknownst to you, I started drinking very heavily and and secretly and kept that going for, um, I would say it was solidly uninterrupted for about three years um, after that. Um, and um, where I didn't question it, I just let myself just go real into the grief and I didn't, it wasn't even going into the grief. It was avoiding the grief truly. Um, and then, um, a friend of mine, um, said I I had mentioned, I had heard about ayahuasca and I knew that I didn't want this for myself. That was something my mother always said was don't drink Kimberly. We've got so much, so much alcoholism in our family on both sides. Don't drink, don't ever drink. Of course I heard that as a teenager, I was like, so drugs are good, right? Um, but, um, it was an attempt, uh, alcohol was an attempt to avoid. Um, and someone had told me about ayahuasca and, and, um, this was 2013. Um, and I told a friend and she said, um, uh, I just went to a sweat lodge this weekend and she serves ayahuasca. I was like, give me your number. (laughs) And it took a little bit of time before that actually transpired. But, um, but, uh, what was your intention though? 
when you wanted to do it? Was it to get messed up or was it to heal? I wanted to know where my mom went because someone told me it was the vine of death, the de of death. Uh, ayahuasca was the vine of death. And I thought, well, shoot, she, she's there. I want to know where she went. And it, I don't even think I understood that I was there to heal. I just was like, can you give me more information? Because my, my world was very, very limited. When you, when you have a substance that you're depending on every day, um, to manage your universe, your internal reality becomes very small. And, um, and it just seems like you're, you have this drive suddenly to do, or not suddenly over time to do this particular thing that takes you out of this world. And, um, and I had no idea that ayahuasca was going to do what it did. The first time I experienced it, I had forgotten what beauty was. And that was the biggest lesson from my first journey was that alcohol not only made it so that I didn't even notice beauty, but that, that like I didn't even recognize it in my world. And then suddenly everything lit up and I was sober for four months without even trying. I didn't want to, I didn't want to screw it up. I didn't want to mess up that state. Um, the problem with many addicts and, and people um, who have addictions, whether it be to work, to everything, all of the different kinds of addictions, um, uh, you don't, you don't, you, you may get separation from it, but then you go back into your patterns. And so the thing about these substances is they are so disorienting that they can break your patterns and you have this space to say, Maybe there's something different. You've got this, this window and some substances um, stay with you longer. Ayahuasca tends to stay with you about a month um, in terms of the, the experience. I, um, I was just it, meaning that your body, like a lot of these substances, as, as many people discover, are very uh, uh, cleansing, <laughs> to say the least. There's a lot of vomiting sometimes that can happen. There's a, the, the body just purges um, uh, substances like iboga, um, a... Um, your, your liver produces neuroibogaine, which is um, a, an aspect of iboga, which is another psychedelic substance. And it, it's, it, it supercharges in, in a way um, and kind of creates a store of that in your liver. And your liver is your detoxing organ or one of them. Mm -hmm. So it stays with you for four to six months. So if you are a person that has really extreme addiction, and I'm not recommending iboga <laughs> to anybody, by the way, um, it is a very, very big undertaking. I'm not even recommending ayahuasca to anybody. This was my path. And when you're talking about ayahuasca, you have to be clean going into an ayahuasca ceremony. So I know to go into that ceremony, you can't have alcohol in your system. I think no. you have to purge uh, weed out of your system for three months and you can't be on a lot of pharmaceuticals. Um, and so can you talk about that experience? Cause you had to get clean to go in. And I actually love that piece because my understanding, I guess before was that a bunch of people would just go and they'd get messed up, but it's actually a bunch of people getting clean and going in really squeaky clean into these ceremonies. So can you share about that? Um, so, so ayahuasca itself is, is at least two plants mixed together into a tea. And so one is uh, very high in DMT, dimethyltryptamine, 
which is something our body produces um, anyways. Uh, and then there's an MAOI and um, that's another substance. Um, there's several different plants that have high levels of DMT in them and that gets concentrated in the tea. And then the MAOI makes it so that when you intake the DMT, your, your digestive system doesn't immediately kill it because there's so much acid in your stomach that otherwise it wouldn't, it, it would just destroy it. And it also just the chemical nature of the in, inside of you. <laughs> you can't just go eat um, some of these plants and, and have these experiences. So um, the ayahuasca vine is the MAOI. And so it makes it activates. And, and for those that, you know, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, go look and see how many um, plants in nature just simply have DMT present. But we eat them and they don't do anything. And that's because we don't have an MAOI present. Um, and that's what the ayahuasca vine brings. So when you, um, when you, uh, mix those together, uh, you have the opportunity to have this incredible experience. But if you have a pharmaceutical that will, um, interact with one of if that, that chemical nature, you not only can it just nullify it, but it can also, um, it can also uh, actually do some damage. So um, if you have an SSRI in your system, for instance, so that's the serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, you're going to, basically you're blocking the body's ability to reuptake serotonin. And these substances flood you with serotonin. So you have the possibility of having a serotonin, um, serotonin syndrome, which there's a lot of bad things that happen, bad things. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional, but I've just, I've worked with a lot of them. I, because of the nature of my work is I do understand the contraindications because I have to, because I need to know. Um, and I, and I lean very heavily on psychiatrists and, and farm D's and people who understand these things far more than me. I'm not, I'm not that person. Uh, but, um, but, but, uh, you do need to be careful. Um, also, additionally, when you look at um, it from the traditional standpoint, they believe that the spirits of those medicines, um, cannabis, alcohol, they all have things that are dampening your experience in this world. And ayahuasca is trying to bring you into it and deepen it more. So it's, it's like they're, 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 they're counteracting each other. Um, aside from that, um, uh, the reason cannabis and specifically cannabis and alcohol, they're both fat soluble. So they stay with you a long period of time. Um, so if you get off heroin, uh, you've got like a three to seven day window that you have to get off that because it is water soluble. Uh, Suboxone on the other hand, which is what people will take um, uh, instead of heroin is intentionally long acting. That's the nature of it so that you don't go through withdrawal, but it means you got to be off of it three, for three months at least mm. to be safe and alcohol, same thing. Um, it, it, depending upon how much you drink, you have to purge your system as much as possible. I think I was clean two weeks, um, um, before I went in and I still purged, oh, I purged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my first time. I don't anymore. I mean, I haven't done ayahuasca in well over a year, but, um, I don't purge anymore. Um, because and it's not like I'm super clean or anything. It's just, there's different purges. Um, I think people need to understand that like you might vomit because your body is just trying to get rid of things. You might go the other direction and and Mm -hmm. have diarrhea, but you also might cry. You might laugh. You might sweat, scream. Scream. Oh, scream. Yes. That's a good one. You might shake, you know, your body might just 
shake and, and it's just, mm -hmm. it's a release of energy. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot in that. I have a video that I, I shared a link uh, with you um, that is contraindications for specifically ayahuasca and iboga. Cause those are the ones that have the most contraindications. Mm -hmm. contra I mean, that's why it's important to find the right person, to find the right community, find the right yes. support, make yes. sure they ask the right questions, make sure yes. that you know where they source the medicine from. It's yes. not something you just go and pick up and do on your own. Um, no. <laughs> actually, I'm not even sure if that's possible, um, but I would love I would love for you to share about how how it's happening, yet it's illegal um, and what's like the workaround for that. And how do people find if they want to do ayahuasca, for example, or if they want to do um, other forms of psychedelics, how do they find the right support? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'll back up and, and um, share that I was part of the, the community that decriminalized uh, psychedelics in Oakland, California. And um, that was um, the first step in, it, it was, it was truly, it's, first step in drug reform, but it's also a first step in, in giving access um, and giving us what, what I believe uh, to be our, our right to change our state. We, so we did decriminalize nature was the, the name of the, the legislation. And that got picked up and put into several different cities, lots of cities around the United States. Um, and they just, they used the same legislation we created, which was basically, um, so the, the pathway is, deprioritization for police they they overlook the fact that you're you're possessing some kind of illegal substance because it's just a personal use when you get to decriminalization it actually says you are allowed to have personal use but you can't exchange money for it um and um you uh can't have us more than a certain amount um based on the substance mm -hmm. um so the way that people are working around it and how it's coming into um, availability is in the cities that you are, that are, they are decriminalized, people will charge for their service to sit with people um, and you have to be gifted the medicine or you have to come to the, the sit with your own medicine in hand. Um, for people who think, oh, well, I can just do it myself. Okay, go ahead. I triple dog dare you. If you've never navigated, if you don't have a significant meditation practice and you're not used to sitting alone with yourself, I would not recommend doing psychedelics. Start there. Start mm -hmm. with self-reflection. Start with being able to be mm -hmm. silent with yourself. That's step one. Um, but um, there's also the church model. Um, and this, this was um, made possible by the Native American church um, fought um, in, in uh, the um, Supreme Court for access to the medicines they already had in their culture. And so it made it so that peyote and ayahuasca could be um, used as, as a sacrament. And, and um, it gives access with the ceremonial context, because the only way you can get access, I'm, I'm a member of, of the Sacred Garden community in, in Oakland, California, you must participate in the church sermons, which in this case is, is um, education on these substances, um, in, a, in a weekly uh, satsang is what they call it, um, and you learn about them. And then after that, you can apply to be a member, and then you can apply to sit with the medicines. But you can't just come off the street and say, here's my donation, and um, 
give me medicine, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they won't give it to you either. They will sit with you, you know, so, so these are different access points. There's always going to be a black market. The black market is always going to exist. You can go buy ayahuasca, iboga, all of these things on the internet, specifically Instagram, which by the way, just please don't, <laughs> don't support those people because one, you don't know what's in it. Mm-hmm. Two, you also have no idea if you're having an adverse reaction because you don't know what the contraindications are. You don't, and you personally, as a human being, some people uh, can come into it, particularly the, the biggest challenge is bipolar um, because there seems to be a, what they believe a chemical mm-hmm. imbalance there. It might make you a lot worse. And, and schizophrenia, you, I think like bipolar and uh, schizophrenia absolutely. are the ones that if you're predisposed to those, that it can kind of kick in a, a psychosis is from my right. understanding. Yeah. Right. Right. The, the, the serotonergic, which are um, um, ayahuasca, they produce serotonin. When you boost serotonin to that level and you already have the predisposed nature to mania or you have um, uh, potentially um, schizophrenia where you have psychotic breaks, um, it seems like when you flood yourself with these these substances, it, it kicks you into another space. Mm-hmm. So not safe. Um, and that, that it's not to say that the people who are bipolar can't have these experiences, but, uh, again, can you sit with yourself without mm-hmm. a substance? <laughs> so for you, what was that life altering experience? Like, was there a moment where you got cracked wide open? Um, I would say, um, my first ayahuasca experience, I was in Santa Cruz, California, uh, with an underground guide. Um, and she lived a block from the beach and I had gone through, there's, there's waves of experience because there's, you know, it's, it just depends on how you're metabolizing substance. And so you kind of go through these like ups and downs, really intense experiences. And then it kind of lets off. And then there's another one that comes in. I was kind of towards the tail end of the experience, but I was still very much hallucinating. And we walked to the beach. Um, and I sat by the water's edge and my, with my eyes open, um, uh, I saw sacred geometry in the sky above the ocean and it was just complete awe. It was so beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful experiences I think I've ever experienced. Uh, that, that being said, I I was also a dancer and I was a professional dancer for many years. And, and I, um, when I was training, I remember, one day in the studio that I did what it like, it's called an outside turn and you lead with your, your arm and my heart opened in that moment, my body released and I opened something. And that was equivalent to that psychedelic experience, that moment. And I, and I still can palpably remember that. So it's, again, you don't need these substances. You can experience this just with this meat suit we've got, you know, you, there's an opportunity the difference is, are you willing? Are you willing to go into those really deep places? I mean, I, I was just dancing. I wasn't even trying in that moment to have some incredible life-changing experience. But um, there is something to be said about sitting down, making the commitment to yourself to say, yes, I will receive this medicine. I will lay down and I will experience what it has to offer because you're actually taking something in from the outside. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was a little um, unsure if I was going to share this today. (laughs) Um, 
But I did my first ayahuasca experience this past weekend, as you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and the experience was so different than I expected. <laughs> I went in with expectations. Um, I went in thinking it would be this beautiful psychedelic experience. I went in thinking that I was a little concerned to be a bunch of hippies, like sitting around wanting to do a bunch of drugs and that I wouldn't be able to relate to anybody. Um, my experience was that the people there were incredible. Like, I just want to cry thinking about the beauty and the, the open hearts of the people that were there and the incredible amount of courage that it took for all of us to go to that ceremony. Because I do think that for a lot of us there, we did get dragged through the depths of hell to get to the yeah. other side. And the purging was so intense. And when I talk about purging, vomiting is one thing. And some people vomit quietly and some people purge so loud. But the yeah. purging fun, for me was, was tears and anger and rage and frustration and um, and dealing with a trauma that happened when I was nine years old and that I had forgotten about or packed away in a suitcase in a little shelf um, and it resurfaced. It resurfaced when I made the intention to do the ayahuasca and mm -hmm. the purging happened before the ceremony and then in the ceremony, there was massive amounts of pain and grief and and that just came out at levels that I would have never been able to access in any other way. And, and then there was the support that landed at all the right spots. Every time I would... would I was going through the first day. I did a two-day ceremony, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> and the first day, I just kept getting in my own way. And I was in my head. And I wanted it to be different. And I wanted to change the experience. And I wanted to figure out why I was so stuck. And I was just stuck, stuck, stuck the whole time. And that, and and they kept telling me that my throat was stuck. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, if anybody's throat <laughs> is open, it's me. I share, like, thoughts, feelings, right? And then the second day, they pushed me a little bit to go into that pain. And, and, uh, and it was so intense and so overwhelming and such purging and such rage. And, um, I finally allowed myself to go into that space and, and again, that and I was so touched by the support. Whenever I needed the support, the support was there, not only from the assistants and the leaders, but the community, the arms were wrapped around me and people lay on the ground next to me and people held my hand and they gave me space when I needed it. And at one point I had such rage and I felt like I wasn't able to get it out in that room because I just felt like I didn't want to put it out on other people. And the assistant said, let's go outside and scream in a pillow. And yeah. I'm thinking, that's a great idea of it. Like really? Um, and I couldn't, and I had to fake it. I had to, they had to fake the screaming until those screams came out and they were from the depths of my soul. And, um, and I released so much trauma and I, and I, I haven't been able to sleep since I was 11 years old. I haven't been able to sleep through the night. 
And probably 10 years ago, I went on Trazodone to help me sleep because I just couldn't sleep and my mind was getting in the way. And three years ago, I went on Lexapro for, for anxiety because I had this feeling in my stomach that had been there my whole life and I just accepted it and it just got to be too much. And, and I was on ADD meds and, um, and I had to come off of all those medications in order to do this, this ceremony. And that was hell in itself. And it, and it yeah. was raw and that ripped me right open. And, and I can say now, like, I'm not on those meds and I won't go back to those meds. And I slept last <laughs> night. I slept through the whole night. And, and all of that was, was seated in this trauma that happened when I was nine years old. And I was, I was actually assaulted by a babysitter. And, and so sleeping wasn't safe and that anxiety was there. And I was on like fight or flight my whole life. And, <laughs> and I was able to let that go and like, let it go, let it go out of my body, let it go. And I feel so free and so open and so grateful. And it was hard. It was horrendous. It was painful. It was absolutely the most intense thing I've ever gone on. I I couldn't imagine people just doing that to get high because it was so intense. And I remember you saying like, you know, grandma ayahuasca will give you what you need and not necessarily what you want. want. And I was wanting this like beautiful psychedelic experience that would heal me that didn't have any of that pain. And it was just, for me, it was just pain and suffering. And, and, and I never understood why I walked, walked around so angry when I was a kid and I never understood why I had this like edge to me and that whole experience softened me and brought life back to me. And like, I, I don't want to go on those meds again. I won't go on those meds again. I don't need them. I, I don't need them. And, um, I'm like, wow, like two days of my life, <laughs> I went through this experience and we're talking about a lifetime of healing, like a lifetime of healing. And I just, I got cracked wide open. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's not, it's not what people think. It's not about going no. and getting messed up. It's not about these psychedelics. Like it's, it, it's, and, and, and here's the thing is that me and everyone in that room was going through that. And I felt like that. And now I understand, like we all walk around with this pain we all walk around with this hurt and this, this suffering and like, we got to get it out and, and, and release it. And, and I, and I don't think this is going to be my last ayahuasca experience. And, <laughs> no, and I, probably think, not. I feel like even as a maintenance thing, right. I'm, I'm off these meds. I'll never go back to these meds, but just to maintain that openness and that open heart and, 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 and because life gets hard and, and things kind of pile up slowly and we don't even recognize how they kind of slowly, slowly pile on year after year and month after month. And it's about shedding all that bullshit out and like being who we are so that we can be better humans. And so, yeah, it was yeah. crazy. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I know, I know you weren't planning on it, but I, I, it's, it's such a beautiful experience, um, to receive 
something that is that deeply healing, you know, it's, it, and to witness it, you know, like to, to hear like that it, yeah, you didn't get what you wanted, the beautiful experience, you know, my, my first ayahuasca experience, the first like, I don't know, 45 minutes or so was a cartoon of like these bizarre, um, uh, hallucinations and they were of devils. Actually, I was staring. I, I remember I was staring, I was laying on a massage table face down on the little cradles and I was looking at the carpet and there was these devils moving around and I was like, what is this? And it was, and there was a voice that said, are you entertained? Are you entertained now? <laughs> like, are we going to get to work? Please God, this is, I, I'm exhausted. You know, like that's what it felt like was like this experience of, did you get, did you get what you wanted? Okay. Well now we're going to get to work. And that was when I went really into hell. That's when I died. And, um, and it's not for, for people like I've, I've known you for a long time. Like we know each other fairly well. And, and, um, for people to, who do have the rough exterior, like I think both of us do, um, <laughs> it's, uh, sometimes you do need like a, like a real hard knock in the head to, to be able to feel to be able to look at the things that are really hard, you know, like the, the thing, um, that I've, I've heard described, there's a, a woman who described her ayahuasca experience. And she said, I came in because I was raped and I never wanted to deal with that. And I never wanted to experience it again. And what ayahuasca made me do was go into it and have it happen over and over and over and over. The whole trip was just being raped over again. And that's why you need a sitter. You know, because otherwise you're going to lose your 100%. damn mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there's some substances like mushrooms can be fun and silly and recreational and cute, but ayahuasca is not rest recreational. Iboga is not recreational. People have started to microdose psilocybin, which I'm not discouraging, but um, understand what you're doing. And people are, are microdosing other substances as well. And not understanding what's happening here. They come in like something uh, that is a, it's a very, they're very big books, but um, uh, Alexander Shulgin has two, came out with two huge books. They're life, life works really. They're um, PCAL and TCAL, which are like this thick each. And they are about the different experiences. And like he was, he's a scientist. And so he, he studied the, the, the point at which when you take a certain amount of a substance that it is the peak experience and then what too much looks like, you know, and he like talks about all of them. It's amazing. Um, he was quite the psych, not that one. Um, but if you just take a little bit, you might, you might sort of tweak a little bit, you know, your experience. But in your case, you got a chance to break wide open in a safe container and, got exactly what you needed. And, mm -hmm. and that's, um, you know, that might happen in a therapeutic se setting. Usually it doesn't. It wouldn't um, have, it, it, you know, cause we were always there too. I was there like, Oh my God, we're in ceremony from 6 PM to 10 AM the next morning. And like, I needed two days to be able to do that with the support and yeah. also somebody like kind of encouraging me to like telling me my Feel. throat's stuck. And I'm like, it's not stuck. What are they talking about? And then I was like, yeah, I'm screaming and nobody's listening. I'm screaming or I, I want to scream and I can't get it out. And like being able to just scream and get out rage and like 
have the space and the container to do that with the support where somebody's not going to think I've lost my mind. <laughs> that's, I, that's a very good point. I mean, I think um, we are attempting to put it into the medical model. Um, the first psychedelic or sort of pseudo-psychedelic experience is ketamine um, that is legal in most, in most places now in the United States. It's being, it was originally placed in, in the, um, uh, I mean, you, you'd access to it in pain clinics first before they started having more therapeutic spaces. Um, but regardless, um, and in, not, not dissing anybody who's in the medical professions, but, but those that tend to gravitate in that direction are not as attuned to their emotional space. Um, they, you can't be, you're witnessing death all the time. You know, you have to have a bit of a rough exterior to be able to deal with what you have to deal with in our medical system, the way that it exists today. So we're trying to put these highly emotional experiences into the context of a medical model. Most of those people do not even have experience with someone screaming at them just sober let alone someone who is at the depths of their soul screaming rage because that is what is necessary to move that energy. That screaming, crying, like uncontrolling vomiting. I had, I sat with someone at one point um, that uh, she passed out on me. I've actually had a few people pass out on me, <laughs> which is scary. I'm not a medical professional. So I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. which says a lot to I've been doing this for a long time. I've been personally navigating this experience. Doesn't mean that you are ready to sit. I'm not a sitter. Mm-hmm. I have sat for people. What I do is I help people get prepared and not in the integration sense, but in the emotional sense of letting go of their best friend, of their, their psychotropic drug, their drug of choice, their emotions that are surrounding a behavior that keep them stuck so that they can then move past that and get into a place where you can get cracked open. You've personally Mm -hmm. done a lot of, of individual work. You've meditated for many years. And when you said you were afraid they're going to be all hippies, I was like, come on, Uh, yoga teacher. (laughs) I'm a little hippie. A little hippie, but you know, but, but that's why I love you. You know, like that's, that's, um, you're open. So I think, you know, if, if you feel like you can, allow yourself to be open and you understand that discomfort is part of growth and you practice that you build that muscle. Then, then I think, you know, you can try some of these substances, but, but they're, um, but definitely do it with people who have navigated the territory. Mm -hmm. Um, because, um, imagine if you were by yourself, I mean, you probably wouldn't have done it, but, but like Mm -hmm. if you were by yourself and no one said, Hey, let's go outside and scream. Like you're, mm. you're, you're still lucid. Like you're, you, you did it for two days, right? You still could sit up and be like, I have to go to the bathroom right now. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's, that's, you're, you're able to do that. You're still functioning. Um, the interesting part about ayahuasca, ayahuasca specifically is it, it is a very, it is a community experience. Like you probably noticed when one person purged, a bunch of other people purged because it's, it's sort of like a, it's, it, you, you create this sort of container for a little while mm-hmm. together. And when you're really skilled, which I'm not, um, but uh, I've had the experience with sitters when you're very skilled, you can see what the other person 
what's happening with mm-hmm. the other person. And so and then felt being so seen by so many people. Yeah. 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 And, to be, and to recognize they saw something, whether it be energetic in your throat or just simply by knowing you beforehand, like that they, they were like this, this young lady could really use some support to release. Yeah. You know, they may, they may have already known that before and came into it. They may have seen something. I had an experience in an ayahuasca ceremony. I was sitting with a friend. Um, this was many, 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 many times in. I don't recommend just sitting with a friend, but she navigated the territory for a very long time. She made the medicine herself. Um, but she said, hey, Kim, go outside. And I was like, why? And because I was breathing really heavily, I was really, really contracted. And she said, did you see that worm? And I was like, you saw the worm too? And like, she could see it because she navigated it enough times. Mm-hmm. And um, she saw that I was not only reacting to something, but she was able to see in her visions what I was seeing. And that's, that's a different level of human being. But like, that, that's like, if you say to somebody, oh, it's fine if my doctor gives me ketamine. All right, that might be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might be safe. Your physical body might be safe. They might be able to check your vitals. But can they really help you navigate the territory of bodilessness, which can happen in this? The disembodied experience, the ego death? Mm-hmm. No. Not usually. And that was the thing is that every single person in that room went through this massive transformation. It wasn't just me. And yet every single one of us had just the right amount of support. I mean, it was incredible. The exact support that we needed. And um, yeah. And then, and then there were also, you know, there was also laughter. There was also joy. There was all of that as well. And then I, I had this experience where the girl next to me and I, I, she's my sister now. Um, she is, but we just parted at the exact same moment. I was okay. And it happens like that. Like you don't know you need to. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God. And we yep. both oh, like lunch for it at the exact same second. And, and, you know, we looked over and I'm like, why do people do this? Cause it's total hell. Right. And, uh, yeah. and, and we were able to laugh in that, in that moment. And then I realized that, I, I said to her, I'm purging the poison out of my body, not meaning the medicine poison. Like I'm just purging poison, like stuff Lifetime. that doesn't belong to me. And also things that have been said to me in my childhood from family about how yes. I'm supposed to be or who I am. And it's like, that doesn't belong to me. That's not mine. That's yours. That was placed on me. That doesn't belong to me anymore. I'm just purging out things that didn't fit things that didn't belong, things that weren't mine, things that I no longer needed. I think we think of purging as just throwing up the medicine and it's not, it's not that at all. And then, yeah, some people don't purge at all, but they've definitely purged in different ways. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that, that actually, I think that, um, I think a lot of people who may be, you know, interested in the topic of psychedelics, they hear about neuroplasticity. Um, they hear about, um, this experience of, of this, uh, uh, oh, this is the great benefit. Well, what what I like the, to decode neuroplasticity, it's a reorganization. It's this is mine. This is my experience. And this is the shit stuff that has been placed yeah. on me. You know, it is it is the things and being able to go. 
sort that over there. I don't need that. Oh, I would like that. More of that, please. It is an organizational process. That's what mm-hmm. is so beautiful about that. And I would say not all psychedelic experiences are that way because there's some people who come out of um, different substances with um, more confused than they came in. You know, mm-hmm. it's not to say that that always happens, but many times, and this is why set and setting, that's, that was a big uh, topic of conversation in the 60s is like set and setting is so important. There's an energetic experience that happens that only you mm-hmm. understand when you actually experience mm-hmm. it. And when you open yourself up even a little bit energetically and something changes, if you're moving through the world, like I can say that um, um, I have been accused of resting bitch face um, many times in my world. And that is because it is the protection mechanism. And so if I crack that protection open a little bit, but I'm not really good at understanding how to receive things. And this is this has happened to me before. I go out and I'm into the world, I'm microdosing, or or I've just had a really big opening the previous day with a with a private um, you know, substance experience. And I'm suddenly moving through the world differently. Well, you're open to new experiences, but but you're open to new experiences. You know, you need to know, you need to understand where your boundaries are, where you are, somebody else stops and starts. That actually is something that's, that's learned knowledge. It's, 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 it's a practice of learning. And, um, if you crack yourself wide open and then walk into, you know, a, a, a normal environment, um, you, you do need some help to reintegrate yourself into this, this life. Because if you walked around protected and suddenly you're wide open, you're actually quite vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that you have an environment that you can come home to that feels safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I mean, that's, that's true of any kind of, um, what we would deem a therapeutic experience. If you, if you are in a negative environment, you leave and you will get help and then you come back to the negative environment. Mm -hmm. what, What good is that? Now, you know, it's really bad, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I would, uh, you know, you said you did a two day ceremony, which, you know, again, not advocating, uh, but if you're going to do it, you might as well do a couple days because (laughs) the first day sort of gets the body cleared. Um, and it also gives you like a point of reference, like, okay, well I did this yesterday. Mm -hmm. I think I, I have an understanding of it, so maybe I can relax a little bit further into it. But also, you're like the medicine is is doing work. It's it's clearing the system. It it is clearing poison out in in literal literal words. Like in my case, I I, I vomited my face off the first day, <laughs> you know. But then, but you get your you get into a space where your body is cleaner. It's even cleaner, and the medicine can go to work even deeper mm-hmm. if you do it a couple days in a row. And then I think the support afterwards is key as well. I think that the, you know, there was definitely three women in that group that felt like sisters to me. And, um, and this group has uh, three support groups for women and two for men that meet every three weeks. And, um, people that I'm like, oh my God, how many people do I have in my life that, that, that I know this well, you know, after two days, I feel like I've known them like a lifetime because we went through this intense experience together. And now I get to be a part of this sisterhood chapter 
where I know that all those women have that in them, that they, they, they can be real and they can go deep and they're willing to explore. And I think, um, that's one thing that you didn't have, but that safety net of security and support afterwards, um, is, is key. Cause not only is my husband incredibly supportive, but then now I have this community that understands the experience I went through cause they have done it. And I yeah. think that's when you talk about integration, that integration is key. Where would you send people for support, for resources, for information that's, um, that's valid and, and good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're right. Very, very good point. Um, so first off, um, I would say, uh, the psychedelic societies, there are chapters all over the world. Um, um, but every place I go, I do look to see if there's a society just so that I have kindred spirits. Um, but also, um, that's one resource and that's free. They're always, they're always, um, make things very, very cheap or, or, or free. Um, so they have integration, they usually host integration circles or they just have meetups where people get to meet each other. Um, uh, you, you had asked how to know whether or not the person you're sitting with is a good sitter. Um, uh, one thing is, do they give you preparation? Do they have option for integration afterward? Now we're in a place where things are decriminalized, where people are a little bit more open to sharing that because sometimes people just give you the experience and they're like, okay, we're done now. You know, because it, things, like I said, when things are illegal, you kind of mm -hmm. have to be, you have to disconnect from it a little bit more, but we have the option now to, you know, maybe your sitter is also somebody who can help you before or after, or they can recommend someone. Um, even just letting your loved ones know, um, some people are deeply conservative, you know, and, and not, I'm not talking politically. They're just, they're very, you know, they want to have this experience, but they might be in a very religious environment. They might be in a very conservative environment where they don't have anybody to talk to seek those other people out. Weirdly, Reddit is not a terrible place to go. Can you get some bad advice? Oh yes, you can. But there's, there's communities of people. Um, uh, MAPS is also a wonderful organization. You can go to the back end of MAPS. There's an area where you can find integration uh, coaches there. Um, but those MAPS does, does, does do some vetting. Um, MAPS is a multidisciplinary association of psychedelic sciences out of Santa Cruz, California. Um, now, now there's one in Canada as well. Um, some people who are very traditional, like if you went to Peru and, um, and had a, a traditional sit with a shaman, they don't necessarily always ask those questions, but they ask other very bizarre questions that, you you know, to a Westerner would be like, why are you asking me that? But they're actually trying to check in with your mental state. They check in with um, and they might do so by asking about the spirit world or something of that, that that might not be familiar to you, but they're asking because they're trying to see where you are mentally. Um, mm -hmm. or, I mean, that's what a Westerner would say. They're trying to see where your soul is. They're trying to see whether or not it's, it's even able to get into this experience, much like, you know, my recommendation of making sure you can meditate beforehand. Um, it's kind of in that, like, how self-aware are you? In the case of Iboga, which is, um, is, is, is really, truly the only, um, psychedelic that can actually kill you um, by its very nature because it's cardiotactic. Um, it can, I mean, it won't kill you, but it'll make your heart stop. It can mm -hmm. make your heart stop because of the nature of it. Um, but uh, 
people who serve that, you do need a medical professional there. You need somebody to do an EKG before you go in. And if you go into that situation where they're not taking your vitals and doing an EKG, don't do it. Iboga or Ibogaine. It's it's kind of, they're just different versions. Uh, Iboga is the pure plant. Um, in ayahuasca, you don't necessarily have to have a medical checkup, but you need somebody to ask the questions of what your mental state is like, what substances you're taking, what supplements you're taking. All of these mm-hmm. things matter. Mm-hmm. If they're not asking those questions, <laughs> and a, I mean, a week before we had to cleanse our systems, not only of all of those things or like months before, but also the week before it was, you know, no alcohol, like one cup of caffeine, no red meat, no dairy, no, not, um, sugar and salt and refined foods. Like we really had to clean, go in with a clean diet. Now, if you couldn't do that, I think it would have still worked. It's just not as effective. Um, but there is something about setting that intention and going through, like letting go of all of your crutches. Cause we, we all have something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is something to be said about having a clean diet so that, so it's, it's kind of the medicine doesn't work as hard, but there's also, um, contraindication of tyrosine, things that contain tyrosine will in, inhibit, uh, will, will it, it messes with the alveoli. So, um, it may like, so having, um, Red meat, red meat, pork, um, uh, cured soy. meats, yeah, cured soy, meats. um, having, uh, hard cheeses, um, they all contain, uh, higher levels of tyrosine. So you, you may not die, but you're going to have a splitting headache. Oh God. Kombucha. It's also fermented, mm-hmm. um, uh, fermented products in general. Alcohol is a fermented, is, is, it goes through a fermentation process. So that's part of it, but it's also that it dampens your, your, your senses. Um, but, uh, that's, that's an actual contraindicated substance. Um, whereas, you know, salt and, um, processed foods, things of that nature, it's not necessarily going to kill you, but, um, it's going to make you really uncomfortable. So what you're, what you're focused on is the splitting headache. What you're focused on is the fact that you're vomiting the entire time because your body's trying to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And so if you come in cleaner, you're going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier on you. And, and it, it just, it just gets stuff out of your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you so much, Kim, for your time and for your friendship <laughs> and for your, for your expertise on your own personal journey with these. <laughs> It's been absolutely. fun talking. Absolutely, absolutely. And um you're welcome to reach out to me. Um my uh let's see I'll 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 send you links for, for my email and things like that. Um um and I'll I'll send some also organizations people can look up. The Glo- Global Psychedelic Society has a list and map of everything of all the societies that have registered at least with them. Um there's a lot of different resources online. Um and um yeah. And, uh, I look forward to, um, talking to you more and I can't wait to see more, more of your podcasts and congratulations yeah, on this you. adventure and congrats on getting through two days. I was <laughs> that was quite the experience. <laughs> yes. All right, yes. sister. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. <laughs> thank you for listening to the connected community podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe. I can be found at www.nikkiyyoga.com, N-I-C-K-Y-Y-Y-O-G-A.com. 
Until I see you again next week, I hope you have a beautiful day.